I am going to try to keep track of my time because I was back there getting some water and those soups smelled good. And uh, I even heard they might even have some Ezekiel bread back there. <laughs> I'm, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. If you want to take your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ezekiel 8, chapter 8. I know we have to skip seven chapters and go ahead to chapter 8. I know y'all are grieving that with me, but... We can't be here a whole week, so. Yeah, I've often wondered in Scripture, why is it that from time to time, Jesus will find himself in a situation surrounded by a crowd, and then all of a sudden, he will just slip away? So, for example, when Jesus fed the 5,000, it said that the crowd wanted to make him king, and then it just says Jesus slipped away. And then there was another time where uh, Jesus had been teaching and the Pharisees and religious leaders had gotten very upset at what Jesus had been teaching and to the point where they were ready to stone Jesus. And it says that Jesus just slipped away. And I've often wondered, I mean, how did that happen? Did Jesus just like vanish into thin air? Did someone just zap him away? I mean, I mean what happened that Jesus was able to slip away? Because here he is in the, at one moment, the center of a crowd, the center of attention in the crowd, and then the next moment he is not there. And, and maybe one reason could be that sometimes we can get so focused on what we are trying to do or wanting to do that we can lose sight of something else that is right in front of us. We call this being oblivious. Is anybody here oblivious sometimes? Where it's, we're focused on one thing or we're focused on our agenda or we're focused on something that we're trying to do and we just don't even happen to see that there's some person or there's some scenario or some situation right in front of us. We just, we're just oblivious to it. We don't see it. Several years ago, the city of London decided to try to create an awareness campaign uh, to help people become more aware of bicyclists on the road. Because sometimes when you're focused on driving, you can be oblivious to someone who's riding on a bicycle on the road. And so they were trying to create a campaign to try to encourage people to be more aware of bicyclists. And so they created some public service announcements. And there was one public service announcement that went viral. And it went on YouTube and it's been seen by millions and millions of people. You've probably seen it before, maybe. Um, but I'm gonna show it to you now and we're just gonna test your awareness, okay? So you ready for this? Here we go. Let's watch this video. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? Go! The answer is 13. But... Did you see the moonwalking bear? Did you see it? Right there? All right. 
right, so let's, let's, let's be honest, okay? Let's be honest. The first time, did you see the moonwalking bear? Raise your hand if you did. Oh, guys, we are an oblivious church, okay? We are an oblivious, do what? You've seen it before. Okay, well, well that's good. We're not, oh, okay, didn't see it the first time. <laughs> John, you got a tough group to work with. They're an oblivious group here. No, I'm just joking. And, and you see the whole point of this, right? It's to, to, to show us that sometimes we can be so focused on one thing that we miss something else. And so we're so focused on counting the number of passes that we are oblivious to this moonwalking bear. And it's right there. It's right in front of us. We just don't see it. And that happens all the time, doesn't it, in life? And, and actually, as I think about this problem of being oblivious, it kind of starts to scare me a little bit because it makes me wonder, what am I missing? What is it, as I'm going throughout my day, that because I'm focused on something else, that I am missing something pretty clear? And I'm not just talking about bicyclists on the road or moonwalking bears, I'm just talking about life I'm talking about spiritual realities. And, and, and what is it that maybe is very clear to, to other people around me, but I just don't see it myself? That starts to scare me because I don't want to be a person who's oblivious. Now, in our first session, we kind of introduced the prophet of Ezekiel. And I hope I made this clear that Ezekiel was called in the 6th century BC to walk alongside fellow exiles men and women, a group of 10,000, who had been forced to leave Jerusalem and live in Babylon. And, and this group, you might call them a group of refugees, they, they were going through a big, big difficult time, a lot of struggle, and asking a lot of questions. And a big part of the questions they were asking were, why are we here? Why are we here? This does not make sense. We are God's people. We live in Jerusalem. We have the temple. We have the king in the line of day. Why are we here? God should be protecting us. He promised that he would. He told us that he would be our God and we would be his people. Why isn't he protecting us from the Babylonians? Why are we here? And in many ways, Ezekiel's role was kind of, you might call it an evangelist, to try to help point out to these exiles, I need to tell you what God is up to. I need to make this clear. I need to help you understand what is reality because you're missing something obvious. You're missing something obvious. And so God gives Ezekiel a vision. It's one of those out-of-body experiences I was talking about in the first session where he actually takes Ezekiel up from Babylon and allows him to see something that's going on in Jerusalem at the very same time. Isn't that kind of cool? Wouldn't you like to do that? I'd kind of like to go and see what's happening in Fort Worth right now. <laughs> but that's what God gives Ezekiel. And the whole point of God doing this is so that Ezekiel can go back to those exiles and explain to them, this is what is really going on. You're missing it. And so what God does in this vision, and it's in chapters 8 all the way through chapter 10 and into chapter 11, is that he gives Ezekiel a vision of the temple in Jerusalem. 
Now, a very good way to understand this vision, maybe a good metaphor, is how many of y'all like uh, the uh, Wizard of Oz? Raise your hand if you like Wizard of Oz. Okay, good. So you know the story of the Wizard of Oz, of Dorothy and Toto. She gets, uh, she's trying to find uh, Emerald City, right? And she's going along the Yellow Brick Road, and she meets who? The uh, Scarecrow and the Tin Man and the Lion. And they all are going to Emerald City to see who? The wizard. And so Dorothy wants to get back home. Scarecrow wants to find a brain. And the Tin Man wants to find a heart. And the lion wants courage or bravery, right? And they get to Emerald City and they go and they meet with the wizard. And the wizard has this awesome presence and booming voice. And then what does little Toto do? Toto runs off to the side and pulls back the curtain. Remember this part of the story? If you haven't seen the movie, I've just ruined it for you. I'm sorry about that. But he pulls back the curtain and we find out that the wizard isn't actually a wizard. The wizard is just this old man who is messing with a lot of knobs and buttons and it's just smoking mirrors. And he kind of, in this pulling back of the curtain, lets us see what is real. The other thing was a mirage. This is what is real. I think that's a really good metaphor for what's going to be happening in chapters 8 through 10. It is almost as if God pulls back the curtain for Ezekiel to see what is really happening in the temple. We know the temple is the place where you meet God. The temple built in the time of Solomon was a place where you would go and pray, where you'd offer sacrifice, where you'd worship God. And God had promised that in this place, I will meet you and we can have communion. That's what we know of the temple. And God says, but what I'm going to do now for you, Ezekiel, so you can tell the exiles, I'm going to pull back the curtain and let you see what is real. And so he gets a VIP tour of Solomon's temple. And this is a diagram of Solomon's temple. Maybe you can see it. And I'm going to show you the tour route that God takes Ezekiel. There's four stops on his tour, on this VIP tour. So he starts, I'm going to use this pointer. He starts up here in the upper or northern gate. And he comes right inside the inner courtyard to about right there. And this is all in chapter 8 of Ezekiel, comes right inside that inner courtyard area, and it says that he finds what's called the idol of jealousy. Now, we don't know exactly what this idol was. We think it might have been Baal or Asher or some form of that, but doesn't it bother you that in the place where the people were supposed to be worshiping the one true God whom we worship the first thing that Ezekiel sees is that right here in that place is an, is an idol. But that's what was happening. Well, his second stop is he comes into here, into one of these inner rooms right here. And I actually want to read to you what he sees here because this is bothersome. If you look in chapter 7, in verse 7, then he brought me to the entrance to the court, and I looked, and I saw a hole in the wall. And he said, Son of man, dig into the wall. So I dug into the wall, and I saw a doorway there. And he said, said to me, Go in. 
and see the wicked and detestable things that are doing here. So I went in and looked and I saw portrayed all over the walls, all kinds of crawling things and detestable animals and all the idols of the house of Israel. And in front of them stood 70 elders of the house of Israel. And Jozaniah, son of Shaphan, was standing among them. And each had a censer in his hand and a fragrant cloud of incense was rising. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the darkness? Each at the shrine of his own idol. They say the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. So he goes inside one of these inner rooms right there and he finds out there are 70 elders. Who are the elders? Remember, those are the leaders of the people of Israel. And they're inside the room in secret thinking, God doesn't see us. Nobody sees us. We're doing this on our own. And they're worshiping idols. And Ezekiel even recognizes one of them. That's Jozaniah over there. That guy I used to respect a whole lot. And you know what they do in the back room? They worship idols. The elders were doing this. Then they go to a third spot. They go back up to probably about this area in the inner courtyard. And here we find women. And it says that there were women and they were mourning for Tammuz. Now, the only time that the word Tammuz is used in the Bible is right here in Ezekiel 8. So we don't know exactly what Tammuz is. We think it was some kind of Babylonian idol or god. And it says that they were mourning for her and basically worshiping her, asking for her to come and be with them. And so instead of Israel mourning for their sins, what are they doing? They're mourning for false gods. And where are they doing this? At the temple. And then finally, there's one final stop. They come back to right this place, those steps. And it says that Ezekiel finds 25 men and what are these 25 men doing? Well, they're standing right here and they're facing towards the east this way and they are bowing down to the sun. Okay, I want you to think about this with me. 25 men facing east. They're bowing down to the sun. They're worshiping the sun, following Egypt, worshiping the sun god. Now, in this picture, where would we say is the presence of God? The most holy place right there. So if you're faced this way, what part of your body is to the presence of God? Your back. And if you're bowing down, what are you sticking out? They were mooning God. That's what they were doing. You cannot get more disrespectful than what was going on in that temple. Worshiping idols, doing it in secret, thinking nobody knows and God doesn't know, to the point where you are overtly disrespecting God in his place. That's what Ezekiel sees. This is what's really going on, God says. They are completely disrespecting me. And so God takes Ezekiel to right here, to the east gate. And Ezekiel sees 
the most horrible thing in his 20 years of ministry. He watches as the glory of God, which resides in the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place, he watches as that glory and that presence slowly starts to move because his throne has wheels, right? It slowly starts to move and it goes out and down and it leaves. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, when Solomon built this temple, he prayed to God. He said, God, will you please come and dwell in this place? And will you please fill this place to where when we pray and when we turn towards you and we pray in your name that you will hear us and respond. And God answered that prayer and his glory filled the temple and it was an awesome day. Well, this was the day when God left. When God said enough. When God said, you're dragging my name through the mud. You are making a mockery of my place and my home. I am out of here. I'm gone. God does not want to be in the presence of sin. And when sin is that horrible and that, that much of an affront to God, God says, I am done. I am gone. See you later. I'm not going to dwell in that place anymore. And Ezekiel watched as God left the city of Jerusalem. If God leaves, who can protect you? No one. That's why the Babylonians are winning. That's why the Babylonians eventually are going to destroy this place. Why? Because God's left them. That's how bad it is. And then we come to chapter 11. So after all that Ezekiel has seen, notice what it says in chapter 11. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the gate of the house of the Lord that faces east. And there at the entrance to the gate, so look at our diagram. So we're just right outside this east gate. There at the entrance to the gate were 25 men. And I saw among them Jozaniah, son of Azur, and Pelatiah, son of Benaiah, leaders of the people. And the Lord said to me, son of man, these are the men who are plotting evil and giving wicked advice in the city. They say, will it not soon be time to build houses? Now, I don't know what your version say there, and that phrase is kind of difficult to translate, but I'm going to follow the NIV here where it says, will it not soon be time to build houses? What do they mean by that? I think what they were saying is they were saying, you know, and not too long from now, we'll be able to start our businesses back up and we'll start building houses and things will start turning around and everything's going to be just fine. And Ezekiel has just seen God leave the temple and there are 25 leaders standing right outside the temple and what are they saying? Everything's going to be just fine. Does that not bother you? They're oblivious to something, right? And notice what they say next. It says, this city is a cooking pot and we are the meat. Now, this is a metaphor. And so I'm going to try to help you break down this metaphor here. Um, 
and I have a pot. And so, John, come here. I want you to hold this pot, okay? I'm going to explain this. So they said, we are, the, we are the meat. This city is the cooking pot. Let me explain what they mean by that. So when you cook like chicken or something in a pot like this, how do you do it? Well, you take the meat out first and uh, you wash it and then you cut off the parts of it that you don't like, right? The parts that are deformed or just got skin on it or I don't know. You're gonna, you're gonna cut off some parts, right? And you throw them in the trash. Don't you do that? Did anybody do that? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. And then you take the really good juicy parts and you stick it in the pot, right? And the pot protects it and the pot cooks it, okay? Correct? Y'all with me? So what they were saying is we are those those juicy choice bits of meat. That's, that's us. The 25 men were saying, that's us. And we're in the pot. And the pot is the city. And the city, we got big walls. We got a king in the line of David. We got the temple. We got the promised land. God is going to protect us. We are safe as long as we're in the city. Now, those parts that are in the trash, those parts are up in Babylon, those 10,000 exiles where Ezekiel is, those guys are in trouble because they're not in the pot, they're not in the city, and so they're, they're going to be in trouble. But we're safe because we're the choice meets, and we're okay here. But Ezekiel has just seen this incredible vision, and he knows that they're completely oblivious to what's really going on, right? Because God's left the city. God's left the temple. He is nowhere around. And actually, they are not in the pot. They are exposed, and they're probably going to die. And instead, the meat that's been thrown in the trash, Ezekiel says, is actually the meat that's in the pot. The ones who are exiles and who are refugees, they're the ones who are actually safe because God's throne has wheels, and God is with them. Okay, thank you. Give him, give him a round of applause. So the, the question that I have as I start to wrestle with all of these things is how, um, and here are the three points that I just said, that God is not with the meat, but instead God is with the meat that's been thrown out, the leftovers, because the meat in the pot is not safe because God is left. Now, whenever I read this, and I think about these things, the question that comes up to me, and I don't know if you face this, if you're thinking about this as well, is, okay, how could this have happened? How could this group of leaders, 25 leaders, could be so spiritually oblivious to where they would think that everything's okay when God has completely left? I mean, these guys aren't dummies, okay? Sometimes we can look back and think, those Israelites were dummies, okay? They weren't dummies, they weren't uneducated. They weren't, they weren't people who didn't have it all together. I mean, they're smart people. How could they become so oblivious to what's really going on? And I think the answer is because these leaders had built a false sense of security. And they had built their false sense of security on four key things. Number one, that they were in the promised land. And the promised land was a promise back to Abraham that God would provide the land. And so they believed as long as we're in the land, we're under God's promise. Number two, because we have the temple. We have the place where God said himself that if you call upon me, I will answer. And so as long as we have the temple, as long as we're in the temple in some form or fashion, we're okay. And then number three, we've got a king in the line of David. Yes, our king maybe isn't the best. Yes, our king doesn't worship the Lord like he should, but at least he's in the line of David. And God promised David that his line would forever stand. And so as long as we have a king in that line, 
We're okay. And then number four, we're in the city of Zion. We're in the city of Jerusalem. We're in the city that is the dwelling place of God. And so as long as we're in the city, in the cooking pot, we're okay. They believe that as long as we have those four things, we are going to be secure. God is going to take care of us. But Ezekiel sees what is real. And that these four, these four items they are not the most important things. What is important is the heart that someone has towards God. And Ezekiel sees where their heart is, that their heart is completely rebellious. Their heart is completely away from God. And so Ezekiel has the task of explaining to those exiles, God is against us. You want to know why? Because it doesn't matter about these four things. What matters is our heart, and our heart is far away from God. Now, here's where it gets tough, church. Because could it be that we do the exact same thing? Could it be that because we do our four things, or we have our list of four things just like those leaders did, and whatever your four things are, it might be different than mine, but that because we do these four things, that everything's okay. God is with us. We don't have to worry. When in actuality, God's left. Could that happen today? Could, could it happen that we could believe? Well, I've believed, repented, confessed, and baptized, so I know I'm okay. I've done the four things. I abbreviated one, okay. <laughs> or I, I come to church, I give my money, I, I go to Bible study, and I bring soup for the discipleship workshop. I've done the four things. I'm okay. God's pleased with me. When in actuality, God's left. Could it be that sometimes that happens to us? Because God is not interested in us checking a list of four things. God is not interested in us being able to say, well, I've got the four things done, and so I'm safe. God's interested in our hearts. He's interested in our hearts. And if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, if we're going to be a church on a mission, we got to get our hearts right. Our hearts right. Because it could be that we could gather in our home and sit around our table and hold hands and say, God is blessing our family when God is nowhere near your home. And it could be that we can gather in the worship assembly and say, isn't it great to be in the presence of God when God hasn't been in our worship assemblies for a long time? And it could be that we can stand and say, boy, God is blessing our country when God is nowhere near America. It could be because that's exactly what was happening in Israel. That Ezekiel saw what was real. And what was real was that God was nowhere near the temple. He had left the temple because of the rebellious spirit. But you had leaders who thought, everything's fine. We're okay. Because you got the four things. Four things. And I think what Ezekiel chapters 8 through 11 teaches us is that what we really need to do is we need to pull back the curtain of our heart. And we need to do a little bit of a heart examination. You want to know where you stand with the Lord, you need to check your heart. Don't check the list of four things. Check your heart. Am I truly worshiping the Lord our God and Him alone? 
Or do I have a few idols in my heart? Do I truly love my neighbor as myself? Or do I care about myself more than my neighbor? Do I care about loving the needy and do I want to love the lost? Or am I just pretty much focused on my own personal agenda? Am I someone who wants to be a servant, who wants to be humble, who wants to become the image of Christ? Or am I someone who really just wants to have comfort and enjoy life? I think we have ladies getting ready for the soup, right? (laughs) We need to do a heart examination. Because we want to be in tune with God. It starts with our hearts. I want you to notice what God says in verse 19 of chapter 11. He says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. How do we make sure that we don't become spiritually oblivious? How do we make sure that we don't become those leaders who think that everything's fine when God has left the building? How do we make sure that we're not missing something that is really, really important, but because we're focused on something else, we don't see it? Well, here's how we do it. We let God change our hearts. And of course, that begins in the waters of baptism. That begins when we are baptized into Christ and God's spirit comes into our life and he changes our hearts. He gives us a new life. He helps us to walk in step with him. But it's something that we have to cultivate every single day. Every single day, we've got to tune our heart to the heart of God, to to, to make sure that we're seeing things the way God sees them, to make sure that we're hearing things the way God hears them, to make sure our heart cares about the things that God's heart cares about it. Because if we get out of step and if we wander away and if we become rebellious, it could be that we become like those leaders and we think everything's fine because I believed and repented, confessed and baptized, but God's left the building. When I think about this vision and this transition from being oblivious to being in tune with God's heart. I think about Donnie and Leah. Donnie and Leah are members of our church. And Donnie has kind of an interesting story. When he was a teenager, he had a bad car accident. He was involved in a bad car accident. And because of that, it affected his spine. And so still to this day, he struggles in walking. He gets around mostly in a wheelchair. He can walk with a cane, but it's very difficult for him, so it's just easier to get around in a wheelchair. And he told me, he said, after that accident happened and I saw a big part of my functionality of life go away, he said, I was mad at God. I was mad at God. I didn't understand why. I didn't understand why this happened. And he said, because I had that feeling He said, it just led me to make a lot of bad choices. And it ended up that he started a spiral down into alcoholism, drug, dealing, and depression. But through a series of events, his heart started to be more open to the Lord. Eventually, 
he connected with our hope ministry and eventually became a Christian and started to turn his life around. And today he's married and he's clean and sober and he's actually a leader among our hope ministry people. And it's a wonderful story. But he told me later, he said, you know, looking back now, I can see that even, even through that accident, God was there and he was working and he was bringing me back to him. He said, I just didn't see it because my heart wasn't right. And folks, a lot of times we don't see it because our heart isn't right. We don't see God at work. We don't see God in our life. We don't see what God is doing. We don't see where God is leading. We don't see what God is, how God is helping us because our heart's not right. And when your heart's not right, you become spiritually oblivious, just like these leaders were in Ezekiel chapter 11. And so the message of Ezekiel 11 that God gave Ezekiel to turn back to those exiles is, you need to get your heart right. And if you want your heart to be right, it doesn't happen through bypass. It happens through transplant. You've got to let God give you a new heart. And you've got to keep that new heart in check. You got to keep it tuned up to where it's in touch with God and what, what God wants because when it is in touch, then we become the disciple that God wants us to be. Then we become the person who's not complacent and oblivious and arrogant and prideful, but become the person who is in step with the Spirit, the person who is walking with God, the person who is joining God in His work in the world. But it starts with our hearts and making sure our hearts have been touched by the Lord and are walking with him. Let me lead us in prayer. Lord, I just want to offer a prayer of confession that too often we have been spiritually oblivious. And we get focused on other things and we get fixated on problems and issues and we forget that you're there. We forget what's real. We forget what's right. And sometimes we can even convince ourselves that everything is fine because we did the four things, whatever those four things are. When you're nowhere around because we've turned away from you, Lord, give us new hearts today. Give us new hearts that are in step with you, that are listening to you, that are walking with you, that are seeing things the way you see them so that we can be joining you in your mission. Give us new hearts, Lord, and move us from complacency to passion for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.